In the past few weeks, migration at the southern U.S. border has reached a historic high. There are days when officials are encountering as many as 10,000 migrants. Uh, We're once more in the middle of a migration spike, and uh, the numbers that we're seeing on a daily basis are unprecedented. Nick Miroff covers immigration policy at The Post. He recently went to southern Arizona, just over the border from Mexico. A really remote area in the Sonora Desert with saguaro cactuses, and you can see the border wall, you know, spanning for miles and miles. And as you're walking along this dusty road along the edge of the wall, periodically there are groups of mostly families uh, walking along this road, looking for Border Patrol agents, asking sort of where to go next. And it's an extraordinary scene because for someone like me who's, who's been covering the border for many years, you're used to seeing people coming across and being taken into custody. Well, this was almost like a, like a self-service kind of thing where these, these groups were coming in and they were looking around for agents wanting to turn themselves in and being directed to a transportation spot where they could start to be taken into custody and be processed and to be transported out of that area. Those who are allowed into the country often get on buses headed for cities across the U.S. They're looking for shelter, work, or to reunite with their families. This situation has also amped up political pressure. Today, a group of Republicans, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, visited the border in Texas and demanded a crackdown on immigration. The president can and should act now. This doesn't require legislation. It requires leadership. And and despite the White House's claim, he has all the authority he needs right now under existing federal law to stop this madness. And this is also testing President Biden, including his willingness to accept newcomers seeking new lives in the United States. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. Today, Nick shares what he saw at the border and how the Biden administration is grappling with historic migration levels during a pivotal election year. You know, Nick, I know you've covered immigration for years, and we're once again seeing a rising number of migrants arriving at the southern border. This is something that you've reported on in the past. Can you tell us more about your recent reporting there on the ground and how many people were crossing the border and how are they getting there? Yeah, so the Border Patrol right now is at least, you know, in recent weeks has been encountering about 10,000 people per day. And that's really a record volume for for that many people to be arriving on a daily basis. You know, it's about twice what they have uh, the funding capacity to be able to deal with, and it vastly exceeds the kind of infrastructure that the Border Patrol has to be able Mm. to process and hold people. And so one of the reasons why so many migrants are being released and are ending up, you know, in U.S. cities is because the Border Patrol is just trying to kind of process them and put them through the system as quickly as possible um, to make room for, you know, the numbers who are going to be arriving the next day. And then how are all of these people getting there? So people are coming from all over the world, and 
you know, they were arriving to Mexico either on flights or crossing uh, by land from from Guatemala. Uh, typically, folks are flying into either South America and and coming up through this, you know, jungle region of Panama on the Panama-Colombia border known as the Darien Gap. But then there are a lot of migrants who are flying into Nicaragua, in particular on charter flights. Um, they're landing there and then continuing to Mexico. And, you know, they're often in the company, you know, they're guided by smuggling organizations, but there are also people who are riding freight trains through Mexico in, you know, in giant groups. And many people arrive, you know, sick, injured, and with, you know, with nothing left in their uh, in their pockets because they've been, you know, shaken down for bribes along the way. You know, the Border Patrol is really just kind of in a, in a triage position at this point. And most of the time they are focused on trying to process people as quickly as possible um, so that they don't get too backed up. Um, they're really trying to avoid situations where they have families, particularly children, who are in custody longer than is legally permitted, um, or they would have people, you know, so overcrowded in custody that things could get, you know, really dire. And so, you know, their major focus is to quickly kind of sort through who can be sent to ICE for possible deportation. That's often, you know, single adults. Um, they want to make sure that if they have any unaccompanied minors, often teenagers, that they are prioritized and that if they get families, they're often, you know, racing to try to get them as processed as quickly as possible so that they will be released into the United States with a court date some point in the future. But they, you know, as, as quickly as they expand capacity, they, you know, they get filled up with, with the arrival of more migrants. Nick, I want to understand more about what is driving people to the border. Can you tell me more about the people who you met in Arizona at the border who did manage to enter the United States? Where were they coming from? And what stories did they share with you about why they, you know, undertook so many risks and, and took this journey and, and felt it was so important to get into the United States? Can you tell me about some of them? Sure. I mean, you know, migration, as we say, is often driven by push and pull factors, right? So there are the things that are um, prompting you to to want to come to the United States now. Uh, often that is, uh, you know, the, an opportunity, the perception that there's an opportunity, that your friends and, and family, your, your network is telling you this is the time to try to make this trip. And then there are push factors that propel people to leave, right? They could be, you know, violence and crime and insecurity. In some cases, it's persecution. Um, based on, you know, someone's identity or, you know, membership in a group. But uh, often it's just the, you know, the, the, the very grim realities of poverty and, uh, you know, of, a, of, of hopelessness in, a, in one's home country. And so in this case, you know, we met, we met some, several families um, walking along the road there along the border wall. We met um, uh, a woman named Ana Arevalo um, walking along the border road with uh, a large group of children and adults, and, and I started chatting with her as we walked. I didn't want to stop her group because they were on their way to try to find some U.S. agents and had clearly been been walking for a long time and looked looked pretty tired, but she was there with her four children. Um, she's a, a you know a 38-year-old 
a mother from the Mexican state of Jalisco, and she was telling us that she worked in a a greenhouse, um, you know, some kind of farm down there, and was coming to the United States because it was no longer safe for her mm-hmm. family. And it was remarkable to see an entire uh, family, you know, like that. And this was, you know, an extended family of, of about 10, 10 people. And I also met, uh, you know, smaller groups. There was a, a woman named uh, Jennifer Cruz from Guatemala who was traveling with her young son. She had arrived from Guatemala also talking about how she was coming because she didn't feel safe, but she explained that her husband um, had come six months earlier and was already working in Maryland as a painter. And, you know, she was coming up essentially to, to join him. There were groups of African, young African men. Sorry, there were people from different countries in Africa at the southern border? That that sounds very unusual. You know, that is that is not unusual compared to the last few years, but it it was unusual to see that in this particular part of the of the border in, mm. in the deserts of southern Arizona. Um, these were groups of men from Senegal and Guinea and from more countries around the world than ever. And mm. so that has included, you know, not only the traditional uh, groups like Central Americans and, and uh, migrants from South America, but that has increasingly meant um, migrants from India, China, certainly Afghanistan, Turkey, and mm. um, and many many African nations. You know, mm. when you get migration like that from from all around the world, it gets increasingly complex for the U.S. government and from an enforcement perspective because um, it's difficult to be able to send people, you know, if they don't qualify for protection in the United States, you know, deporting them back to their home nations is a major burden for U.S. authorities who are trying to manage the situation and mm-hmm. don't want to reinforce the perception that anybody who who comes across you know, just has to wait a little bit before they're, they'll be released into the United States with some future court date that will allow them to live and work here for, for years before potentially facing any consequences. Nick, with your years of reporting on immigration, how different is what you're seeing at the border now? And also, I wonder what's different in terms of how the Biden administration, compared to the Trump administration, is handling immigration enforcement. And not just at the border, but within the United States. The volume of people who are coming is is extraordinary and unprecedented. At the same time, I've seen this very fascinating switch at U.S. Customs and Border Protection from really kind of a, a an enforcement-driven mindset during the Trump administration to one that today really in some ways emphasizes processing people faster and being able to responsibly cope with this extraordinary number of people. The Biden administration isn't carrying out the kinds of, of uh, you know, worksite enforcement raids that we saw during the Trump administration and has generally been so focused on the border that the risk that someone would feel in the United States that they could be taken into custody and, and deported um, has has diminished significantly you know, since Biden took office. And so 
the Border Patrol, Border Patrol agents and the Border Patrol infrastructure has been largely reoriented toward not allowing the system to get so overcrowded that, that things get out of control or get too dangerous. And that's why, you you know, you see these massive groups of people waiting in line or being being, um, you know, corralled into these into these outdoor holding areas just so that they can contend with uh, the sheer numbers. But that's a change that I've noticed over the last couple of years. After the break, Nick breaks down the complicated road ahead, what the Biden administration is trying to do next on immigration and the growing criticism it's getting from the right and left. We'll be right back. Nick, what has the Biden administration done so far to address immigration? What have we seen? Well, during the pandemic, the administration really relied on this public health authority uh, known as Title 42 that allowed agents to quickly expel people without giving them a chance to seek asylum or other some kind of, you know, U.S. protection. Um, But migration, you know, pressures and the volume of people coming to the border has remained really high. And now the administration is trying to, to move beyond that approach and to implement, really put its own stamp on immigration enforcement with what it considers a more balanced approach between giving people more legal opportunities to come to the United States, but also threatening to deport people who don't take advantage of those opportunities to try to come a lawful way. But, you know, the last six months have shown, as the numbers continue to rise higher and higher, that the administration's approach is is really kind of uh, nearing a point of exhaustion, and they're running out of money, and they seem to be running out of ideas, and that's why we see administration officials going to Mexico to really urge the Mexican government to do more to help them reduce these numbers. You know, it's not just up to the White House and the president. There's also Congress, and I know that immigration has long felt like and has been almost a politically impossible issue for Congress to take up in a comprehensive way. Where do things stand now in Congress? Is anything before lawmakers that would address any of these issues? Well, we're at a we're at a really interesting moment because the White House has made this supplemental request to Congress, tying funding for the war in Ukraine and Israel with uh, about fourteen billion dollars in additional, you know, border and immigration funding, and they really need this money in order to be able to continue to contend with this huge volume of people. And yet, you know, Republicans are demanding uh, a number of significant enforcement changes that would make it harder for migrants to seek asylum, that would make it easier for the U.S. to deport people, um, and would introduce a number of other kind of barriers to people coming and and being allowed to, to be released into the United States and to be able to stay here. And so some of these things... The Biden administration has described almost like a red line and and it's, you know has said that they were unacceptable. But the administration is really in a bind because it needs this money. The number of people coming continues to grow. You see Democratic mayors like, you know, Mayor Eric Adams in New York saying that the city is, you know, is at a breaking point and can't really, you know, take any more people. Our shelter system and those who are in care 
uh, the number reached over 70,000. Unprecedented. Never before in the history of our county. And so the pressure on the administration has grown. I mean, I think Republicans also feel like they, you know, have a, a winning wedge issue here. And and a lot of the polling that we've seen shows that they get higher marks than Democrats and the Biden administration for their their handling of immigration issues. And that's that's one reason, for example, today that Speaker Mike Johnson is leading a taking a group of of uh, about 60 Republican lawmakers down to a border district in Texas and Eagle Pass where thousands and thousands of migrants were arriving last month and producing some pretty chaotic scenes. And Nick, I've also read about how some states are making their own moves with immigration. Can you tell us what is happening in Texas with Governor Greg Abbott in recent weeks? This border situation has created an opportunity, you know, for Republicans to campaign on this issue. And so the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, is one of the examples of this. And he's he's really directed, you know, the state of Texas to try to take on a greater, you know, immigration and border enforcement role, you know, most famously by busing and 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 flying migrants from the the border in Texas to northern cities. Texas Governor Greg Abbott releasing video announcing that he's flying migrants from Texas to Chicago. This woman explaining there were more than 100 people on board the plane and they were left deserted when they arrived late Wednesday night. And I think, you know, Republicans feel like that has been a pretty successful effort that has put the pressure on on these Democratic mayors. They want more federal support to care for migrants. And they say that governors like Greg Abbott in Texas are creating unnecessary chaos. Here's Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson at a press conference last month. You're just going to put people on a bus and just take them somewhere and drop them off in the middle of the night? And then you want to hold us accountable for something that's happened down at the border? It's sickening. And so, but just know that my work is, uh, our work is not done. But let's be very clear. You know where this is promulgating from, right? You do know that, right? That you have a governor in Texas that can care less about those families and literally dropping them off, not just in Chicago, but anywhere and everywhere is wicked. It's also important not to exaggerate the degree to which migrants are arriving and overwhelming New York, Chicago, and Denver um, because of what Texas is doing. A lot of the migrants that you encounter along the southern border already have these cities as their destinations, or they're going there to these places because they're some of the few places where there are um, nonprofit organizations that are willing to, you know, to take them and guide them to temporary housing and other services. So some of this is happening organically, and, and some of it is, is being orchestrated. Okay, so, you know, going back to the southern border, you had mentioned that highway on the Mexican side that smugglers use to bring people right up to the border wall or border fence. And so this raises the question for me is what if anything is going on in Mexico in terms of enforcement? Are they working at all with the United States on this? Mexico says it's cooperating more with the United States than ever before, and you you hear U.S. officials essentially echo that line. At the same time, you know what we saw toward you know last month was that when the annual budget for Mexico's immigration enforcement agency ran out, their efforts seemed to really slacken. 
um, on that side of the border. And so even when you had thousands of people crossing in the Eagle Pass, you know, Texas area or in Lukeville, Arizona, where I was, you rarely saw, you know, any Mexican authorities on the south side. You didn't see, uh, you know, military or National Guard or anything like that. But whenever there has been a major spike in migration, the U.S. government, you know, over the last few years in particular has really leaned on Mexico to do more. And and what we've seen is that, you know, Mexico can set up more checkpoints, they can pull people off trains, um, and they can reduce those numbers temporarily, but it doesn't ever really seem sustainable, and there doesn't seem to be a real a- uh, appetite on the Mexican side to do that kind of enforcement in a costly, sustained way. And so the, you know, effects are typically fleeting. You know, we've talked a, a bit about the criticism and pressure that President Biden has faced from Republicans for not being strict enough or that this being a, you know, untenable situation that there needs to be more enforcement. I'm wondering if you're also seeing the reverse of that. How do immigration advocates right now feel about the administration's handling of this and should that be a concern for the president at all? Sure. I mean, to the extent that the administration is willing to meet the Republicans halfway on some of these proposals for tighter enforcement, the White House is going to face immigration advocacy groups, many of the same groups that were that were supercharged during the Trump administration in opposition to the Trump administration's immigration policies and, you know, and, and you know, groups that initially supported Biden when he when he came into office and promised a different approach. And so he has to really choose right now, I think, between um, taking steps that are going to, you know, win some moderate Republican support and could actually make a difference in reducing the border numbers and the pr- overall pressure on the U.S. immigration system and and keeping, you know, these groups in his corner. But if any kind of deal is going to get done on immigration, you're going to see it um, hammered out between moderates of both parties. Um, because just, you know, just in the same way that, that you, know, you know, Democratic uh, progressives are angry at the White House. There are plenty of, of very hardline Republicans who don't want to see any kind of deal with the administration and who are going to demand things that are are so politically, um, you know, difficult for the for the White House to accept that uh, it's going to mean you know nothing would be able to get done. Yeah, and then there's the temptation to think about this issue in terms of the politics and the optics, but then I'm also just thinking again about the stakes for the people on the ground who are, you know, touching all ends of this issue and that I can only imagine that when when the situation gets more dire, then that creates more danger for everybody. One of the kind of iron rules of, you know, border enforcement and migration is that when enforcement tightens, it often makes crossing the border more dangerous because people go to more remote areas, they attempt more extreme things. Um, and so if we do see some kind of, uh, you know, major crackdown as a result of these the pressure on Mexico or through some kind of, you know, legislative deal, that could increase the, the risks for many of the migrants. And, you know, if you've made this decision to come to the United States and to make, a, you know, this long journey, it's a huge investment. And people, if they get, you know, this close, if they get into Mexico, they, they are going to want to try to go all the way. And, and that only intensifies the, you know, kind of 
kind of sense of desperation that, that people have to try to make the journey despite the risks. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Nick Miroff covers immigration policy at The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Sabi Robinson. It was mixed by Rennie Svernofsky and edited by Monica Campbell. Thanks to Debbie Wilgorn. If you're looking for the latest updates on the big news of the day, check out our morning news briefing, The 7. We bring you the seven stories you need to know about every weekday morning by 7 a.m. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.